So if you would take your Bible in your hand and uh, turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 and 2. While you're turning there, we're glad to have Minister Abraham with us today as well. Genesis 35, verses 1 and 2. When you have that, say amen. amen. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Amen. You may be seated. Um, we we're in, it just started a series on last Sunday. Uh, really didn't plan for it to be a series, but... As I studied, I'd get, get to one point and say, I, that's going to be too long if I try to put all that in one sermon. Uh, so this is, um, this is part two of getting back on track. Getting back on track. There, there are times when I believe it, it, is, it is absolutely true in my own personal life, but I believe in, in all of our lives as, as Christians, as believers, that we find ourselves on the wrong road. I said, I think even Christians can find themselves on the wrong road. Every child of God has those days when, when you look up and you realize that you have been traveling in the wrong direction. And, and it really doesn't matter how long you've been saved or how long you've been in the church. It doesn't matter what position you have or what role you play because it affects all of us sometimes. So from the pulpit to the door, and from the balcony to the floor, all of us sometimes look up and find ourselves traveling in the wrong direction. Now, sometimes it's because you just wanted to do your own thing, and you just wanted to go your own way. I admit that's my problem. Sometimes I want to do my own thing, and sometimes I want to go my own way. Y'all too holy sitting here looking at me to admit that, but I'll be the first one to testify that some days I wake up and I don't want to do what God told me to do. And you know what? Sometimes I don't do it. Now, I know y'all not going to admit it. I'll admit it for you. But then there are times when we ended up on the wrong road, and it's because we listened to somebody else. Uh, we had somebody else in our ear, and they were telling us what we should and shouldn't do and telling us what we ought to do with our lives, uh, and, and they really didn't know where they were going either. And they telling you what to do with your relationship, and the last seven relationships they had didn't work out. 
Uh, then there's times when we just weren't paying to the directions. I mean, the, the, the directions were right there in front of us, but we were looking somewhere else. And you end up, and you end up on the wrong road. And then sometimes you're looking at the directions, but you misinterpret the directions. Instead of letting the directions talk to you, you start talking to the directions and telling the directions where you want to go. I'm just saying, sometimes we end up on the wrong road, and sometimes we end up there for a whole lot of different reasons. So no matter how it happened, everybody ends up on the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction sometimes. Now, thank God it's not all the time, but everybody ends up there sometimes. And what we've been dealing with is not so much that you ended up there, but how do we get ourselves back on track? So you don't need to waste a whole lot of time and energy and emotion on how you got there. You're there and that's the reality. Now you need to spend some time figuring out how to get off the wrong road and back on the right road. And so as we begin to see last week in this narrative involving God and Jacob, we hear God telling Jacob to do what the GPS in my car often tells me to do when I veer off on the wrong road. When I move off on the wrong road, my GPS says to me, make a legal U-turn. Y'all ain't hearing me. It says you are traveling in the wrong direction, and the wrong direction will not lead you to the right road, and because you're on the wrong road, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Some of us are in the wrong place because we have not been listening to the GPS when it tells you to make a legal U-turn. And that's pretty much what God had been saying to Jacob. God tells Jacob, listen, I need you to make a legal U-turn and go back. That's what chapter 35, verse 1 actually says. God says to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Go back where? Well, he says go back to Bethel, the place where you had a life-changing encounter with God himself. And you see, some of us, the problem with many of us is that we've been in church too long. I wish I had some witnesses. We've been in church so long and we have gotten so churchy that we have forgotten what it was really like the first time we met Jesus. The first time he came into our lives and we were excited, we couldn't get enough of his word. We were reading it every day, every hour, every moment. We wouldn't miss Bible study. We wouldn't miss prayer service. We were just happy to be in Jesus. And then you end up hooking up with some churchy friends, and they steered you off down the wrong road. And what God is trying to tell you today, that if by chance that's you, it's time for you to make a legal U-turn and go back to where it all began. Do I have some witnesses in here somewhere? It's the idea of going back to the realization that the only way to get your life back on track is to recommit yourself to living intentionally in God's presence. Now watch what Jacob does after God commands him to arise. He tells him to get up, and then he tells him to go up to Bethel and build an altar there to God. 
Now, this is what he does when he hears the command. Chapter 35, verse 2 says that he basically turns immediately, and then he says to his household, he says to his family, he says to all that were with him. Now, it's interesting that when God gave him the command, he didn't look up and say, well, when you want me to go? He, he didn't look up and say, you mean cousin so-and-so got to go to? He didn't, he didn't look up and say, well, how long is this trip going to take? He didn't look up and say, well, why now? I got stuff to do. He didn't, he didn't say anything. All he did when he heard what God said was turn and talk to his family. Can I talk to some men in the house today? In fact, where are my brothers at? See, brothers have to understand that God has given you an ordained position. You don't have a certificate of ordination. And no, you're not sitting up here on a pulpit. But if you are a man, and if you are a man of God, if Jesus Christ is living inside of you, and you have a wife and children, God has ordained you to be the head of your household, and he has ordained you to lead your family in the right direction. There's no reason why your wife ought to be leading you. There's no reason why the children should be leading you. You are the head of the household. No, I got some mad sisters in here now. So I just want to say, there is arguably nothing like a man who is prepared to stand up and a man who is ready to go to another level in his faith. Now, I can't speak for nobody else, but I am never content where I am. I think God has so much more for me. I don't know what it is, and sometimes I don't always feel like it's just going to happen, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has so much more for me than what I have right now and that what I'm dealing with right now. And what he has for us is always based on obedience. Now notice how Jacob is not just planning to go by himself. He reaches back for his family. And here's another piece that sometimes is skipped over. He doesn't just reach back for his family, but he also reaches for everybody who's with him which means that he has his family, but there are some other people who he's going to take along with him. Because when you have experienced the presence of God operating in your life, when you've seen the power of God operating in your life, of course you want your family to experience it, but anybody else who's in the immediate vicinity, you want them to experience it as well. You see, when you decide to make a legal U-turn and get back on track, you have the potential to impact the lives of everybody who is around you, in the neighborhood, on your job, extended family members. You have the ability to now impact the lives of a lot of other people, including your family, so that sometimes the change that will come in other people happens when they see the changes in you. So Jacob instructs his family and everybody with him, verse 2, he says, all right, we're on our way back. We're getting ready to make a legal U-turn, and we're about to head back 
to where I first had a life-changing experience with God. We're going back, and I'm taking y'all with me. So he says to them, so you're going to have to put away foreign gods that are among you. You're going to have to purify yourselves, and you're going to have to change your clothes. Now, I'm only going to get to half of that verse today. The rest, you're going to have to tune in next Sunday for the rest of it. So why, why, why does Jacob say that? Well, because Jacob understands that as a result of making a legal U-turn, he's on his way back to an incredibly significant place. He's going back to the very presence of God. Now, the presence of God is really, you know, some people say, based on how we see this, you know, theologically, they will say his omnipresence means that God is everywhere at the same time. And I beg to differ with that, because that just makes God kind of small. I, when you talk about the presence of God, it's, it's, this, is, this is the real way of seeing it. The real way is that everywhere is in his presence. Not, not that he's everywhere at the same time. No, everywhere is in his presence because he's bigger than everywhere. Y'all with me? Now, here's the thing. It then is up to me and you to live like we respect his presence. You can't get away from his presence but you can live like his presence doesn't exist. And that's when we end up veering off the right road. Getting back on track means getting back on the right road, and the right road will always lead you in the right direction, and the right direction will always lead you to your destination or your destiny, which always involves living in complete obedience in the presence of God. And that's good news for Jacob because Jacob had been living in disobedience. But guess what? It's good news for me and you, too. I said it's good news for me and you, too. Because if we sit up here and tell the truth, we live in disobedience at times, too. Everybody in here does their own thing sometimes. Everybody in here ignores what God says sometimes. I wish I had some honest folk in the house today. You don't have to testify, I'll testify. There are plenty of days when I do what I want to do. When I feel like it's all about me and how I feel. The reality is, it's not about me and how I feel. It's about God and what he wants out of my life. So, so, so sometimes, sometimes I think what happens is, you know, because this is good news for Jacob, because Jacob was living in disobedience. It's good news for me and you, because, you know, you and I kind of live in disobedience from time to time. And, and like Jacob, we are not perfect people. Sometimes we try to avoid God because we think he's mad at us for something we said, something we did, somewhere we went. And you know what? He wants us to confess our sin so that we can get back on the right road. But sometimes I think church people make God out to be some big old bad angry God that's just sitting around looking like he's been sucking lemons all day. And that is just not the God of the Bible. I wish I had a witness in here somewhere. 
seems to me that God tends to spend less time being angry with us and more time trying to get us to turn around and come back to him. God is not mad at you because you're here today and you haven't been here in a long time. God right at this moment is trying to whisper in your ear and tell you, you know what? This is where you should have been all along. Why don't you come on back? The problem is, is that we look at people and we interact with church people and we think God is like them. Oh, help us if God is like church people. Church people don't forgive. Church people don't work with your church people. No, we serve a forgiving God. We serve a loving God who just wants you to turn around and come on back. In fact, the reason Jacob is on his way back to God is because he had been disobedient. And, and, and that put him on the wrong road and it caused him to be heading in the wrong direction. And, and let's not forget his past. The reason he met God at Bethel in the first place was because he had stolen his brother's birthright and his brother was going to kill him so he ran away. And see, while he was running from what he did, he ran right into himself. I wish I had a witness. Pastor Cliff, we're not just talking. We don't understand people that's running from church to church. Because you mess up in three or four churches, and then you end up at another one, and then you mess up at that one. The reality is, is that it ain't the churches, it's you. All the churches can be wrong, and you're the only one right. Oh, y'all ain't like that one, huh? So, 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 so he had some, some problems. He had some issues. He was living in disobedience. In fact, Jacob's name literally means con artist. His name literally means trickster. So Jacob wasn't a perfect guy, but he knew enough about God to know that the best thing he could possibly do when he's on the wrong road is to turn around, listen to the voice of God, and go back to where everything was fine. And again, I'm saying, you know where you are. You don't have to have me to stand up here and tell you where you are. You know, everybody knows where they are. You know when you when you in sin and when you're not. You know when things are going well and things are going not. You know when you're just doing your own thing. You feel your own guilt. If you saved at all, you feel your own guilt when you're not doing something. That's called the Holy Spirit telling you, fool, get back in line. So I'm here to tell you to listen for the voice of God even today. I don't want you, I don't want you to so much hear Damon Jones. I want you to hear God. I, I don't want you so much to hear my sermon. I want you to get the message from God. I, don't, don't focus on me and what I'm saying because God's words are always bigger than my words and you can never rely on my word above his word. But if you look at his word, you'll see it just as plain as day. Now notice how Jacob is not going back there with his family and with all those people that are with him uh, without first preparing them for what they're about to encounter. Jacob already knows because when he encountered him at Bethel, he woke up, he encountered God in a dream. He woke up and said, surely the Lord is in this place. 
He had seen angels on a ladder ascending and descending. And, and, and I want to suggest that what he saw was, was Jesus Christ. Now, some folk would argue me on that point and say, oh, wait a minute, Jesus didn't come to the New Testament. No, uh, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus says. So he's, he's not limited to just the New Testament. He was born in the flesh in the New Testament, but he existed with his father in part of the Trinitarian Council long before the New Testament was written down. And I just think what, what Jacob experiences was Jesus Christ. And the reason I think that is because he sees a ladder connecting from where he was to heaven. And we all know that the only way to get to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except he come through, through me. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. I, I, I think it's important to know that you have to be prepared to go back into God's presence. Jacob kind of shows me and he shows you what we need to do as we start to journey back to get on the right track. And, 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 and when you really think about it, don't we get prepared for everything else? Come on. We, we some preparing people. We get prepared for everything else except going into the presence of God. Y'all right, ain't saying amen. We, we get prepared for parties. Depending on where you're going, you have to go shopping. <laughs> I must have stepped on somebody's foot, not toes. I must have crushed her entire foot. We, we get... We, we have to go. I was invited recently, my wife and I, to this party uh, with, with a, another, not a party, it was really a cookout with another couple, is in the back, a cookout in the backyard. And based on who it was inviting us, I said to myself, and I told, I told the husband, I said, I ain't got no clothes to be hanging around y'all. You ever see people where all they dress down stuff is just like the most expensive stuff you ever seen in the world? I'm like, I don't have no expensive sweats. Expensive shorts. I don't have that kind of stuff. I felt like I needed to go shopping to find something to go to a cookout. So we get prepared for that kind of stuff. We get prepared to take trips. We got to call. We got to make arrangements. We got travel agents. We back and forth on the phone. We on the internet. We on trying to find the cheapest flight, the cheapest, the cheapest hotel, the cheapest this, the cheapest that. We trying to have a fabulous vacation, but don't quite want to pay for it. Come on, y'all know. You know, we got exotic taste with local money. So, 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 but you got a plan for all of that stuff. You can't just show up somewhere talking about y'all got any rooms. You got a plan for your rental car. I said, we some preparing folk. We prepare if people come in by the house. Huh? Don't we start running around looking for the vacuum. You and the vacuum have absolutely no relationship, which is why you can't find it. So when you know somebody coming around, you done sent all the kids around the house to find the last place we left the vacuum cleaner. You say, well, what we got in the house to cook? Well, this generation don't do a whole lot of cooking. Where's the menus? We all, everybody got menus from the pizza places and stuff in the drawer. We just order out. 
Old people, you used to go by their house and they always had something they could cook for you right quick. Yes, they did. They got stuff in the freezer downstairs. New, younger people, there ain't no freezer downstairs. There ain't nothing in the one upstairs. I'm just saying, we some preparing kind of people. And, 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 and then we, we gonna prepare, some of us gonna prepare for work tomorrow. Some of us gonna lay our stuff out tonight to get all the stuff that we need to have together for the night. Some of us is good at doing it in the morning. You get up because you're in a morning person. You get up and you can get yourself together in the morning. And some of us ain't either one. We get prepared in the car on the way. I'm saying we prepare ourselves to go to parties and take trips and for somebody to come by the house and to go to work in the morning. Why don't we spend the same amount of time and energy getting ourselves prepared to enter into the presence of Almighty God? We serve a holy God. We serve an all-powerful, all-knowing God. He rules and he reigns from before the beginning and then after the future and beyond. And we cannot enter his presence any old kind of way. I wish I had some honest people in here that could testify about the kind of God that we serve. And Jacob realizes that because there is preparation that precedes entering God's presence. There's a level of preparation that's necessary to experience worship at a higher level. There is a way to maximize your experience in his presence. And by the way, it has nothing to do with who's preaching. It has nothing to do with who's singing. It has nothing to do with who you're sitting by. And the reason it has nothing to do with those things is because if you're paying attention to the text, this is not about public worship. It's about private worship. And the reason I know that is because he's being talked to his family and the people around him. He's not talking about going to the temple. They're talking about your family and you coming into his presence. Now, why is that so important? Because your public worship is informed by your private worship. So if you can't get it together publicly, you probably have messed privately. If you don't pray that much publicly, it's probably because you don't pray that much privately. I wish I had some witnesses. If you can't get into worship publicly, it's probably because you don't have a whole lot of private worship. I'm just saying, every now and then, you got to get your personal time in with God. You got to get your time with God right by yourself and then watch the Lord meet you in every other aspect of your life. I'm just saying, make a legal U-turn. Go on back to spending some personal private time with God. Get, get in a place by yourself. Block some folk out. Go get you a good set of headphones. Huh? The ones that's going to last a while. Get a good set of headphones. Get a set of, play some good gospel music. I'm talking about stuff that, that really talks about the gospel. I mean, that talks about spiritual things. Go, go for a walk in the park and look at the beauty that God has surrounded us with. Close yourself up in a room and close your eyes and just think about where the Lord has brought you from. Light a candle sometimes. Put, some, put that music on it while you're reading God's Word and just listen for Him to respond to you. Read a devotional. Sit quietly and close your mouth and meditate on God. Listen Listen for his voice. Focus on how much he loves you. We got to get it right in private 
before you can have a good time in public. Go back to your personal, private worship where you can express your gratitude to God for what he means in your personal life. Remember, Jacob is going back remembering that God appeared to him when he was running for his life. Nothing in the text says that God did anything except appear. Because we come in expecting God to do something. Amen. We all got issues and trials and tribulations and all the stuff that's going on in our lives. So when we come to worship, you know what we have in our mind? I need God to fix it, change it, heal it. I need God to do this, do that. And you know what? That's not what God is saying to him. God says, go back. I ain't said I was going to do nothing. I just need you to come back and get in my presence because sometimes if you realize you're in my presence, healing takes place automatically. don't say he did anything. It just says that, he says, this is where I appeared to you. Appear just means to present oneself. It just means to walk in the room. All appear means is that I showed up. But don't say I did anything. I just showed up. And sometimes that's all you need is for God just to be there. God says, go back to where I showed you that I'm real in your life. Sometimes we all need to be reminded that God is real. Christians need to be reminded that God is real. And so it's not so much that Jacob is going back asking for stuff from God. And again, we all have stuff that we need from God. I got a laundry list of things that I need from God. But real worshipers will always take the opportunity to go back and build an altar because an altar is about what you're going to give him, not about what you're going to receive from him. Got to go back where you can recommit, where you can reconnect with God. It's recapturing that fabulous experience you had the first time you ran into God and he ran into you. Now watch this. The first thing Jacob teaches his family about getting back on track, and I, this is the only one I'll be able to get to today. But the first thing he teaches us about how we get back on track is that you're going to have to dethrone and discard other gods. I said, you're going to have to dethrone and discard these other gods that are among you. Text says in verse 2, put away, get rid of foreign gods that are among you. Now, the King James Version translates that word foreign as strange. Foreign, strange. It, it, it just means to be from somewhere else. I didn't, I didn't quite get it. I kind of understand intellectually the concept, but I didn't quite get it experientially until my wife took me to Rome for my birthday. And, and, and everything was fine. We landed in Rome, and we got in the car, and they took us to the hotel. And when we got in the hotel, I turned on the TV, and, and I turned the next channel, and turned the next channel, and turned the next channel, and turned the next channel. And it wasn't long before I realized that I'm a foreigner in their land. See, I'm used to being, I'm used to, I'm used to other people being foreigners. They didn't even hardly have a TV station that I could listen to and understand. I had a hard time in the restaurants because they all spoke something that I couldn't speak. I had a hard time reading the menus because it was written in a language that I was not familiar with. I wish I had some witnesses. I was a foreigner in their land. 
And this is what this is talking about. To be foreign or to be strange just simply means to be from somewhere else. Something that doesn't belong, that came from the outside. It's something that's not usually associated with what's already there. It's something that really is not relevant because it doesn't fit in where it's trying to go. Back in chapter 31, verse 19, Rachel, when they were sneaking out of Laban's house, she stole some of her father's idols. These were little household hand-carved images, man-made, that they set up in their houses and they worshiped them as gods. They were called in the Hebrew teraphim. Now, teraphim, it just simply means, the root word means dubious. And dubious means questionable or doubtful. So they had these strange gods, these foreign gods, these questionable gods, these, the, these doubtful gods set up and they were worshiping these hand-carved images. So what Jacob is saying to his family is that if we are going to go back to God, if we are going to get back on track, we have to start by worshiping the right God. The last thing we need is questionable, doubtful gods hanging around us. We can't worship these little shaky, unstable, questionable, man-made statues and then talk about we heading back into God's presence. But all of us, all of us, everybody in here at this very moment, we have other little gods in our lives too. Don't sit here and act like you don't have some other gods in your life because we all do. Material possessions. Some of us hide behind what we have because it makes us feel like something. So we always, we always have to have it because of how it makes us feel. Some of us, it's cash money. You got to feel like you got something in your pocket. You got to feel like you got something in the bank. You always got to show somebody that you can handle it, that you're the big baller. You got to show people this stuff because you just got to have some cash. For some of us, it's technology. We can't go nowhere without some kind of screen and some kind of device. Always looking at some kind of screen and some kind of device. And then for some of us, it's social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. For some of us, it's reality TV shows. We can't stay in Bible study too long because my shows is coming on tonight. My shows. I got to get back so I can see my shows. I got to see my Come on, help me, somebody. I got to see my shows. And then there's some people who are worshiping acceptance from other people. So that if other people don't affirm you, you will go into this little depression because you worship what they think about you. Then you got some people who worship their job. Boy, if you take that title away from some of us, we're going to be a mess. I wish I had a witness. If you take that little office, that little cubicle, that little desk, them little file folders away from some of us, we're going to be an absolute mess. Some of us, it's our educational pursuits that we worship. You got to call me doctor because I earned my doctorate and I got my three chevrons on my sleeve. And that means that when you see me with my bars, you're supposed to call me doctor. In fact, my first name is now doctor. I want everybody to call me doctor. What are we going to call you for short? Call me doc. You just consumed by this little 
piece of paper. Then you got people that's consumed by sex. They worship sex. They worship drugs. They worship praise and recognition. And here's the worst one of all. Some of us worship ourselves. That's why you can't have say nothing to you because you think you God. Can't correct you, can't help you, can't point you in the right direction because you think you God. You might as well become like these little rappers and call yourself Jeezy and Hove because you really do think you Jesus and Jehovah. Something's wrong with you. So I'm just saying, anything we put more time and money and energy into more than God is considered a God in our lives. And I'm saying everybody in here, including myself, and sometimes has some little God set up in our lives. God says, no, I need you to come back into my presence. And you can't do that till you get rid of them strange gods. The psalmist would say, you know what? God is right. Them gods are strange. You want to know how strange them gods are? They got eyes, but they can't see nothing. They got hands, but they can't help you. They got ears, but they don't hear you when you pray. They got nostrils, but they don't smell your worship. They, they got feet, but they can't go anywhere. And because you put your life in the hands of you and your stuff, that's why you veered off course. Hmm. Isaiah said, what sense does it make to rely on a piece of wood that can't save nobody? Jeremiah said, they stand up straight, but they can't talk. They need to be carried because they sure enough can't walk. Acts 17 says, we ought to know better than to reduce God to a metal like gold or silver or to a stone or a piece of art that man came up with. I'm here to tell somebody, you just ought to get your theology right about who God is. There is one and only one living and true God, an infinite and intelligent spirit whose name is Jehovah, whose name is Jehovah. And I came to tell you that he is the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressibly glorious in his holiness and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. Hear God saying of himself, I am the Lord your God. Got to worship the right God if you're going to go back into his presence. And I'm here to tell you that our God is God. He is an amazing God. He is a wonderful God. He is an incomprehensible God. He is an inexplicable God. In fact, I like how Augustine put it back in the day. Augustine was one of the early church fathers. He was the Bishop of Hippo. He was a black man. He, he was one of the early church fathers who when he was talking in his confessions about God, he looked at the word of God and he thought about God and he said, wait a minute, our God is ambidextrous. Now that's kind of heavy, ain't it? He's ambidextrous. Now anybody that understands the, the idea of being ambidextrous knows that you're good with this hand and you're just as good with this hand. Am I right about it? You can write just as clear with this hand as you can with this. See, I'm a right-handed guy, so I can't write with my left hand. President Obama is a left-handed guy, so he can't write with his right hand. But the God we serve is ambidextrous. He can do it with both hands. In fact, Augustine said, he's the only person I know. He's utterly hidden, but he's utterly present at the same time. He suffers no change, but he can change all things. He never knew and never old, but he still makes all things new. He's ever in action, but he's always at rest. 
He gathers all things, but he needs absolutely nothing. He's ever seeking, but he lacks nothing. He, he loves, but without subjection to passion. He can be angry, but at the other hand, he's unperturbed by his anger. He finds and receives back what he never lost. He never in need, and yet he rejoices when he gains. He owes nothing, but he pays me and you like he's the one in debt. He forgives what is owed, but he still loses nothing. All I'm saying is that we serve an amazing God. Now, can I, can, I, can I speak? I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. But that's the kind of God I need in my own life. A God who is governing my life. A God who is controlling my life. A God who is directing my life on a daily basis. I need a real, sure enough, bona fide, authentic, genuine God in my life. A God who will speak to my heart. A God who will incline his ear unto me. A God who will lift me from the muck and the mire. A God who will forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. A God who will comfort my heart and dry my tear-stained eyes. A God who will fight my battles and a God who will handle my enemies. A God who will correct me when I'm wrong and then turn around and bless me when I'm right. A God who will keep me from falling and protect me from hurt, harm, and danger. I need a God who can make me run when ain't nobody behind me. I need a God who can make me cry when ain't nothing wrong. I need a God who can give me joy and joy unspeakable. And when it's time to go home, I need a God that whether by rapture or by rigor mortis, I need a God who can give me a home in the land of no more. Now hear what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with material possessions. There's nothing wrong with technology. There's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with education or vocation. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. But never cross that line where you're treating your blessings like they are your blessors. Jacob says, you got to get rid of them strange gods so we can get ourselves back on track. Make sure you have the right God if you're going to get on track. I'm here to tell you, when you serve the right God, brighter days are ahead. When you serve the right God, things will, they will get better. When you serve the right God, life will become meaningful. When you serve the right God, help is on the way. When you serve the right God, healing is possible. Well, who is? I said, who is? This right God, who is the King of glory, the Lord God Almighty, who is the right God? He's the God of the Bible. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the creator and the sustainer of all there is. 
And I'm here to tell you, when you live in his presence, it makes the difference when you serve the right God. It makes the difference between success and failure. It makes the difference between joy and sorrow. It makes the difference between peace and turmoil. It makes the difference between hope and despair. It makes the difference between life and death. Now before I close, before I close, can y'all give me one more minute? I just want to tell you about the God I serve. He is spirit. He is one. He exists in the Trinity. He's self-existent and he's self-sufficient. He is eternal and he is infinite. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent and he's omnipotent. He is wise. He is immutable. He is sovereign. He's incomprehensible. He is holy. He is righteous. He is merciful. And he is forgiving. He's long-suffering. He's gracious. He's kind. He's unique. And he's glorious. But the thing I like, the thing I like the most is that he's loving. Yes. I said he's loving. He loves us when we're right. He loves us when we're wrong. He loves us on good days. And he loves us on bad days. He loved us so much that when he saw, when he saw that we were dead in trespasses and in sin, and on our way to hell, he sent the law. That wasn't enough. He sent the prophets. That wasn't enough. But when you want something done right, got to do it yourself, reached inside of himself, pulled out, out himself, wrapped himself up in the flesh, came down. To 42 generations, his name, his name, his name is Jesus. Yeah, yes, yes, his name is Jesus. He suffered and he bled and he died, but early, I said early, early. Sunday morning, he got up, all power, all power in his hands. Am I right about it? 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 Do you know him? Yes, 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 oh, yes. Yes, 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 ain't he all right?
I said, ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Yes! Yes! Oh, yeah!